Hey, welcome back, everyone. You loved the live show episode, but you wanted a little bit more. Here are the questions direct from the mic into our ears and iPhones. Again, apologies about the sound quality. Here is the Q&A section of our live episode at Sawhorse Productions. So, Tim, you were saying that when you have a shadow, you like um, a lot of collaboration. Like, you like to speak with that person. How was your shadowing experience different? Like, I'm wondering if if um, it's more expected for the shadows to be flies on the wall and uh, be seen but not heard, or if, in your experience, you've really been able to kind of dig in and chat with the directors and, and really be a part of the learning process. I mean, for me, it's been interesting because, again, I, I've been directing for 10 years now and I've never really had done a shadow. So I think for the most part, and for a lot of people that I've talked to, it's like you're a fly on the wall, and you know if you're shadowing on something big, you're you know you're you're not chiming in. Um, and if you have a cool director, then yeah, maybe they're having you be more a part of the process. And then the director that I shadowed on Crashing was um, Gillian Robespierre, who did Obvious Child, and she was lovely. Um, it was also interesting because I've done a, lo- a lot of directing, so she wasn't like explaining things to me. It was just more I was there to see how that show worked. Um, so I think it just kind of depends, but you really should feel it out, and it should be like you're a fly on the wall unless you get invited right. or you're asked a question, I think, too. But then be prepared to, like, chime in and, like, feel like, oh, yeah, I have the answers, or, like, they might be like, what would you do? Like, you know, so just be prepared, but I also wouldn't, I wouldn't muscle my way in there. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, yeah I shadowed um, Fresh Off the Boat a couple of years ago, and I didn't, you know, I didn't know the director really well, but he was, you know, he was very nice and lovely, but, yeah, I, I was a fly on the wall in that situation. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, the people that have shadowed me have been people that I kind of know, kind of work with, so I, it probably is a somewhat different dynamic than if it was something I comp- completely didn't know, but, um, yeah. You know what's also interesting is, like, so on Kimmel, we've had a few students come and shadow, and the other directors... They're usually like, oh, go stand with, go be with Boreen, because I feel like they'll they're like, oh, she'll have more patience with you or something. <laughs> so, um, I when I've had somebody come, it's just like, oh, let me just like be a normal person and like tell you all this stuff, because it can be really awkward. It's like so weird just to be like, I'm just here. Right. Yeah. You you have zero job to do. Um, cool. Yeah. The context of that question is the person that asked it <clears throat> is my wife, <laughs> and I had a really weird shadowing experience where I was probably I should have been more of a fly on the wall. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just and I'll just leave it at that. Um, any other questions? Um, let's go all the way to the back. Then we'll we'll work our way to the front. By the way, we have some awesome people in the audience tonight. Um, a lot of them have worked with Matt and me, and so you guys should all talk to each other afterwards. It's a lot of really. I, I talked to a listener earlier who got a job based off of uh, meeting someone at the last show. Oh, cool. So, so yeah, that's half the, the people in this room. That's what everybody's doing here. <laughs> yes. Free jobs. Oh, that sounds awesome. I just finished college and I'm really to debt. Whoa! Oh, right. Um, My directing professor's advice to us was that immediately post-grad, it doesn't matter what you do, you should just direct anything that you can because it won't hurt you and it won't hurt your career. Um, so what's your advice on like directing shitty scripts or getting linked to, <laughs> getting linked to projects that are like not great? Is it worth the practice or should you try and stay away from it? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, make, make 
Tony. Make shitty stuff for sure. That's good advice. But you can't go into it thinking it's shitty. You have to you have to think it's gonna be great and then you're gonna be wrong. It's gonna be terrible. <laughs> and, and that's but the next one's gonna be great. And then you gotta see what was bad about what you just did, but then take there's gonna be some things that you did really well and enjoy those wins and build on those and then look at what your weaknesses are. And, and build on those. But your, your professor is giving your, you yeah. good advice, but just don't go in trying to fail. Go in with the delusion that everybody else is gonna come out making shitty stuff, but I'm gonna make great stuff. Yeah. I think a lot of people get stifled by like, being like, I, I can't make mistakes, or like, so then they don't do anything, and it's like, yeah, you're gonna fail. And the more you, I wish I failed, you know, like I wish I took more chances probably when I was younger and wasn't afraid to fail. But I think like, I guess I'm 100% sure that everyone up here has had this experience where someone emails you or calls you and says like hey you're a director and I'd love to have you maybe direct something I have what's financed and we're ready to go can I meet you can I see your samples you talk to them you get to know them everything you're like super stoked on this directing job that just came to you and then they send you the script and you're like this is awful <laughs> and it's like that's when yeah. you have to decide you know I think what, what was your name again oh I didn't say it's oh. Brittany Brittany was asking, like, do you just direct it even though you hate it? And I, I, my answer is, like, you tell them, look, I love this idea. I have some ways that I think can make it, like, really sing, you know? And if they are into it, then they are. And if they're not, then you wait for the next. And that's a good way to practice that muscle, too, to look at something that is shitty and be like, how can I make this better? But you never want to live a lie. <laughs> I think that won't work. And it's not a good way to build relationships, too. Like, I think, to your point, you really have to find a way to love whatever you're doing, um, or you just won't be exercising your muscle in the right way. You'll, yeah. Yeah, if it hurts your heart to read it, probably. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, if there's, like, you know, if there's a scene you really love, or if there's, like, a couple things where, like, I feel like this, at least, I can take this and put it on my reel, like, make as much stuff as you can in the beginning, and then years down the road, when you feel like you have your voice, like, start to make the right stuff and uh, yeah. by the way it's even worse for actors because they will just be like oh, I love this script and it's like they hate it it doesn't make any sense but they just do it um, <laughs> but at least it's only like a day or two you know um, cool any other questions should we go over to uh, Marshall hey um, another recent graduate but um, got to the city got a job real quick and uh it, it's safe, but it's not what I want to be doing. It's in the industry, but it's very adjacent. So when is it time to strap in for the long term and build the relationships? And when should you let the fire drive what you're going to do and start taking the big risks? It's like, that's basically the kind of like my job is that when I first came to LA, I came and I had great, uh, I had an internship on CSI, and I worked on an Alexander Payne movie, and I was like, this is gonna be great, I'm gonna get a job. And then the writer strike happened. It was like in 2007, so there were no jobs. So I got a job working behind the counter at Sprinkles, and then I was also doing PA work. And what I decided, what I personally decided to do was stop doing PA things, work at Sprinkles, and just be like, I'm always gonna be making my own stuff and fighting my way in. So, and that's when people were like, this is not, that's not a good idea because you're not working your way up. And I think it depends on if you want to direct, then you don't necessarily need to be a PA or, you know, you just go make stuff and write stuff and figure out a way to do that. So it kind of is like when you think it's, you know, time to like do that. I also think as a recent grad, we touched on this earlier, but you have this unique opportunity where 
you probably know talented people that you went to school with and it's not unreasonable to say hey can you shoot this for free and can you work for free and all of these people that I did this with straight out of uh, out of film school now they're all getting paid and it would be really tough for me to say hey can you work on spend all this money and ask for favor rates from all these people uh, for something that's not going to pay so you have this flexibility right now where I don't know how good your job that you just got is but if you're really accustomed to a certain comfort like that can be that can be trapping and it was so nice to just like live in borderline poverty and uh, just everybody would come and and try try to hustle and I think you're in a in a real speed, sweet spot and that's not to be too uh, I don't know I don't want to discourage anybody who's 35 and wants to jump out of the rat race, but I feel like that's much more difficult because then you have to find, where do you find those peers? Where do you find these talented people to jump in with? So I would capitalize on it. Cool, yeah. And obviously do both. Do your job and do, it's like what Maureen's doing. By the way, Maureen, everyone on here's episode is really amazing, but Maureen goes really in depth into that story of like behind the counter at Sprinkles too. Kimmel. Um, Cool, and uh, next question? Allie? Uh, hi, yeah, uh, my question's about the creative process. Um, how do you, if you have like a lot of notes for an end, how do you like maintain a great relationship, you get them excited about these notes being professional? Yeah, uh, I've got this one actually. Evan Kospar, uh of Sawhorse fame, one of the three guys here, uh, has a, a process called Build, Break, Build, right? Or you've heard of it as the compliment sandwich. Right, so tell them like these are the things I really like, and maybe it's a, you know like a, a deli sandwich, and there's a lot of meat in the middle, right? <laughs> um, but like, be genuine, but like tell them up top what you really really like, and then you know just be kind but straightforward and be um, specific. Do you know what I mean? Like a wishy washy note is the thing that an editor hates. I see Andy Young nodding. <laughs> like, but if you're like, hey, I don't like this thing, let's fix it. That's a lot easier for them to deal with. Uh, and then tell them that you love it at the end at the end. Yeah, I always start with like a prose list. I pretty much every notes email I've ever sent starts out with like, amazing first cut. <laughs> um, and I don't know if that's like a backhanded insult or not. But it's like what, yeah, like sometimes it's more about the amazing and sometimes it's more about the first. I have this thing with um, my, the, uh, Sarah, who edited my two features, we have we called it shits and giggles. So like any, because we fought a lot, but that's also why I liked working with her because she was really passionate. But anytime she didn't want to do something, I'm like just shits and giggles. It's like you have to do whatever, whatever. It's like, like let's just try it. it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. That is a good thing. Like just try it. And and a lot of times you're wrong. Like you're like, well, we just cut to this and this and this and this. And then you're like, oh, this doesn't make any more sense than it was before. I, I've found that that's a really good way to make rapport with an editor too is just to like hey let's try this I think this could work and then we spend 10 minutes trying something and then if you're the person who goes like nah it was stupid wasn't it nah you were right mm -hmm. and that's the type of thing like hey we're in this together we're all I don't know any better than you but this is just an idea and we're in this together I think that She's makes evil. any note that they hate a little bit more palatable <laughs> I can tell you what they don't like which is when you're like uh, can I just um, sit here for a second and use the keyboard. <laughs> Don't do that. 
I got to do that on Hannah. <laughs> yeah, my I had such a beautiful relationship with my editor Morton. He, um, I think it was more annoying for him to have me like right behind him and be like, now, okay, now, and then this way, and this way, and so like I just got my own little station, and it was this wonderful collaborative relationship. We had two stations, and it was so wonderful and collaborative because um, I could do the shits and giggles, try things, work on a sequence, and he tries things, work on a sequence, and then we'd watch each other's stuff and talk about it, and it, was, it felt like having a writing partner, actually. It was just, like, so uh, wonderful, and it was all based on just, like, brutal honesty and may the best idea win, um, and anything's possible, and we can always try things. And if, yeah. if you can, too, I mean, I would recommend, you know, download Adobe Premiere, spend, the, you know, 10 bucks for a couple months, and just, like, edit a couple things you should shoot on your iPhone, and, like, just understand what all the tools are called, and I think that just helps your shorthand with your editor to be like, roll this clip back, like you know, two two seconds, and like they, they I think they like that you have a respect for like what they their kind their language is. And what does that mean to you? Roll the clip back two seconds. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> you, you're basically taking the edit point and you're moving it back like ten, you know, moving it back however far you want to move it back without changing the actual timing of. But are you changing the shot before it two seconds shorter? You're shortening, like, I'm, you're shortening the A shot by two seconds and you're lengthening the head of the B shot by two seconds. That's what and I And then slip That's how I think it. is moving it, slip but it. like keeping the, yeah, yeah, the shot direction. Yeah. Yeah. So what's slide? What's what? Sliding. Slide that same over four frames. That, I don't yeah. know what sliding is. That's like, I feel like you move the pick, like. It would yeah, yeah. like all of the stuff. It's a there. double yeah. roll, I think. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Next question. Next down. Hi, I'm Jesse. Um, for American Vandal, you have such specific actors and characters. Like, they need to feel young and be in high school, but they're also very funny. But then it's like a drama, and so drama, but then it's fucking hysterical. So I'm wondering, like, how did you decide which actors you wanted? Were they really playing themselves? Because, like, Phil Maxwell, I mean, I feel like he's, like, just that dude. Um, <laughs> and also, do you work with them on set differently to make it drama, but funny and drama? Well, I think, uh, thank you, first of all. Uh, and that's a layered question, so I'll try to be as quick as possible. But uh, we just sort of set a tone for us making this like a documentary. And all of the actors that we brought in, we made it like, okay, this is the most important crime in the history of Hanover High School or St. Bonaventure High School. And that applied to the cinematographer, to the writer's room, and it just kind of trickled down philosophically. So that was never really something that had to be hammered into people. Um, I think in terms of casting uh, for this show and doing, especially something in the, in the doc space, I was uh, less interested in trying to find the, the Daniel Day-Lewis or Gary Oldman who just completely transformed into somebody. Uh, but there was a, plenty of room for a talented actor to come and change the role a good deal from what I was imagining. Like I didn't imagine really Jimmy Tatro as like a skinnier, dumber SoCal guy, kind of like a Kyle Mooney type was originally how we imagined it. And then he brought his own version. Like, okay, let's steer it to that. We would rewrite a little bit. And uh, so I think that's kind of the philosophy is just like, uh, reading a lot of people and being open-minded and if you see somebody bringing truth to the role and like yeah i knew that guy in high school then then you just go to it and then play to their strengths and instead of trying to fit them into the box of 
a certain joke or punchline that you had in the original script, you uh, let them take it and, and make it their own. Cool. Any other questions? Let's do a couple more. We'll do two. Can we do two, three two, more questions? <laughs> two more questions. You, you, and then Dave. Hi, Danny. Hey, Dave. This is awesome. Um, with such tight deadlines and like huge stakes, um, how do you deal with stress? Mm. And um, how do you not like second guess the decisions <coughs> that you make on set mm. or in pre-pro with really tight deadlines? Mm. Um, I feel like, personally, um, sometimes working on Kimmel, I feel like when I first started, I'm like, it's kind of like when you, I don't like, really like flying, so it's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to die today. Like, you get on a plane, and you're like, I might crash, and that's okay, and that's the only way I can, like, get on a plane. <laughs> so it's kind of like the same thing, you're like, I could get fired today, but that's okay. <laughs> like, and that's, like, honestly, like, how I dealt with, like, a lot of the stress at the beginning of that job. You just surrendered to it. I was just like, if I get fired today, I get fired today. Like, if I, if I fuck something up and I don't make the deadline of the show, then, okay, I'll, you know. Yeah. I think we all are really stressed <laughs> out when we're on projects, right? Yeah. Like, even Tim, probably, when you're doing episode, your 14th episode of Adam Ruins Everything, you're still probably like, oh, shit. Oh, yeah. This I'm motion control thing was not worth the money. I'm, I'm constantly just, like screaming inside at lunch every day when I need to cut like 12 shots because we can't make our day. Um, but I think to answer your question, I think uh, just doing it over and over again, it just yeah. gets easier every time. So I think, you know, the first time I'm always working with a new client or a new show, it's like I'm terrified inside the first day I'm doing it. But then it's like I survive, they ask me back and then it's like, oh, okay, they, they like me, they want me here for a reason. So you know, those jitters kind of go away. You, you'll find yourself ready to punch a wall and then you just think, what would Matt Enloe do? Repress <laughs> <laughs> <Yes>. it all. <laughs> I, I think I had my very first panic attack recently in the Heathrow airport. I thought I was having a heart attack and I was sure I was going to die. And I was like, oh, this is how it ends. Like here, alone. Uh, <laughs> um, and I realized now like I love this work and I want to continue doing it and hopefully live and I've realized that I need to deal with stress better actually I, I'm not good at it and I shouldn't and I like I, I will admit that like it's not even so much that I'm stressed I on set I feel very peaceful and very calm actually it's where I, I feel maybe the least stressed but at the end of the day, and you're thinking about um, what's next, or you just can't turn the adrenaline off to like get the sleep that you know your body needs for the next day. And so I you know, would develop bad habits of like, oh, I have to drink three glasses of wine because it's medical. Um, and like, or just, and then, and then I would be, you know, and then the next day drinking, I got in the habit of drinking these little five hour energy bottles that you get at like 7-Eleven that are amazing. And like, I uh, definitely got a little addicted to, um, but like, that's all really bad habits and like that can't sustain you in the long run. So I've, um, now I'm doing yoga and um, I'll let you know how that goes. Ask me. <laughs> that, that happened yeah. actually on my second feature. I, yeah. The same thing as you, like on set, great. And then I had a health scare where I went to the emergency room with a kidney infection. And like, you do have a kidney infection, but your blood pressure is so high you could have a stroke. Yeah. And they were like, are you stressed out? And I was like, no. <laughs> like, that's just how I function. <laughs> and so I was like, yeah, you have to just like sometimes meditate and like, but I really love that like energy of like, 
a million things. Like, it doesn't feel stressful. But and in fact, it's addictive. Yeah. It's actually really yeah. addictive. And then when you rap, it, you actually are in danger of depression because you're so used yeah. to that hit of that, like, I adrenaline. call it show crash. Yeah. You yeah. definitely yeah. actually get depressed afterwards, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So self-care. Just, like, yeah. work on some Wellness. self-care. Yeah. Okay, we had another question over here. Hey, guys. Uh, so I work as a commercial DP. And um, that's been going really well. We just had like a big Payless campaign that did well. But um, it wasn't the ones with the sh- yeah. Oh, yeah. awesome. Yeah. Which, yeah. which one? Um, they, they tricked a bunch of influencers into thinking that Polisi was this like high end brand, but it was actually Payless. Yeah. Oh. yeah. <laughs> the whole thing in Santa Monica. Um, Tara, re- return my Polisi shoes, please. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so that's all going really well. I want to do more narrative work. Um, I've done three features, but it's also like, I know so many producers, not a ton of directors, and in the feature world, it's directors that get more features. Um, but going back to you know what you were saying about um, being young and can do stuff for free, I also can't do that, right? Um, it's like I've, I've told friends, yeah, I can do your short, but like you have to call me the day before. Because I, I, if I get a call from Acura, I can't turn that down, right? Um, I don't know if you guys have any uh, advice for me on picking DPs. When would you change a DP or look for a new DP? Yeah, I mean, if you turned down that Acura job and we shot a short together, I would owe you. And we would have history. And I think that's really the thing, right? Just having history with somebody is the way to know whether or not you want to continue working with them. And I think maybe on a short-term job, maybe, maybe it's as simple as turning down some, it sounds like awesome opportunities every once in a while to make a, a crappy short maybe. You know, but that's the worst case scenario, right? Or you make like a badass commercial and you're like, hey, you know, I, I just shot this, Payless spot and it's doing really well. Just like how actors do it. Like, hey, I just did this short, or I just did this. I get. I mean, I'm sure all of you guys get e- emails from DPs saying like, hey, I'm a fan. Like, check out my reel. And like, on you know, on a project, if like I'm looking for like a car person or someone that's amazing with kids or someone that's done anamorphic Lomo lens, whatever, and the client like wants someone with experience, I'll look at those things if they happen to have just gotten into my inbox. So. Yeah, but mostly I think if you listen to Just Shoot It, uh, you'll get all the answers. <laughs> also, I would say, I, I really agree with what Matt said. I would amend it a little bit, but it's probably nothing that you don't already know. It would just be like, instead of for making a, a shitty short, it's like, if you're turning down an accurate job, you got to be really selective, and you're like, I really believe in, in this director, so I'm going uh, to turn down... $6,000 for him or her because I feel like it can, it can pay in the long run and, and I'm not discounting what a leap that is to make but sometimes just being like really calculated like I really believe in this script and I like his previous work and I think we share a similar sensibility and uh, that is the type of flight to make. Negotiate with a person too like you're probably not getting an awesome phone call in between Christmas and New Year's you know what I mean? So, yeah. like, maybe being a little more strategic, strategic that way is helpful. I think if there's some way you can be reading scripts 
and and fall in love with the project early and make an early relationship and even then volunteer your time like hey if you wanted to do a proof of concept with this um i think that could be wise that's probably the best advice i think yeah <laughs> that would work on me um, okay, cool. Also, everyone needs someone to read their scripts. Yeah. Um, so we'll all be hanging out here and drinking and stuff afterwards so everyone can ask more questions. But for our final question, I introduce, ladies and gentlemen, David Stanbra. He's going to be on an HBO show also. Am I allowed to say? It's going to be on the, left, on the Leftovers. The new season of Leftovers? Just kidding. True Detective. True Detective. Come right up here. Sit right here. Yeah. What is your question? It better be good. Uh, um, you ready to choose a breakfast sandwich? No, I'm just um, So it seems like as you progress through your career as a director, you're, you're constantly encountering a firsts. So my question is, when you encounter something that um, technically you don't have, say, the expertise or the experience doing, whether that be like a large action sequence, or perhaps you're switching genres, um, what, what do you recommend for bridging the gap between your knowledge um, to what you need to be? So do you like to research other films, or do you have mentors that you consult? Um, how would you, so yeah, if you, if you encounter a technical issue that you're not familiar with, or that you, that's a first for you, how do you go about bridging that gap? I honestly, like one of the things I get from our podcast is I meet so many directors, and I'll just like email one of them. I even like emailed Eric Kissack. Uh, a friend of mine who did this commercial that I really liked and I was pitching like a really similar like look art direction to something he had done and I was like can you just show me like what you wrote in your treatment for your art direction and he sent it to me I was like do you mind if I just like copy and paste this into my treatment because it's <laughs> kind of perfect I like talked about how like a room should feel lived in and the objects on the shelves should feel like they belong to the people there which like it totally does not matter and makes no difference like in a four second shot in a commercial but um but I just like loved how he talked about that. And so treat Blake here, Blake and I, we send each other treatments all the time because um, it's like real, you know, you just got to learn from each other. So yeah, I think if I need a motion control thing, I'll call Tim. Tim, who did you, uh, how did you learn to do motion control? Uh, honestly, it was just like a tool I knew existed that I wanted to use. and and. It just the perfect project came up for Kyle Schumer where we knew we wanted split screen, like you know, a, a, like a good scenario and a bad scenario type commercial. And I was like, you know, it'd be really cool to like use this gear to you know do this very specific shot. And I just hired a DP and I was like, hey, I want to figure out how to do this. I've never used it, so I'm really gonna lean on you to like, do you know it? And if you don't know it, figure out someone that like knows how to use it. And I kind of you know. You're just going to lean on the department of whatever technical issue that has to involve. Mm -hmm. um, I also think the good thing is that if, you know if you're doing some kind of you know big actiony thing, you know there's probably a behind the scenes of a scene of a movie on YouTube for free that you can like just watch and be like, oh, like that's where they placed that camera. That was the piece of gear they used, or that was actually green screen. That whole backdrop was actually not even really there. Well, cool. Well, thanks, everyone. Thanks to Sarah, Maureen, Tim, and Tony. Can we get another? <laughs> and uh, yeah. Well, thanks. Uh, hang out. Feel free to chat with us. Yeah. And uh, thanks you so much for coming. Yeah. Thanks, everyone. And there you have it, folks. That was the Q and A section of our live episode. 
We hope you enjoyed it and let us know what you think. If you missed it and you are interested in coming to a live episode in the future, let us know and we will keep putting them on. They're actually really fun. They're super fun. Yeah. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone. Catch you next week.